Hello and welcome to the menu Monaco's program on great food, drink and hospitality. I am Markus Hippi. This week, Israeli chef Oded Oren launched his London restaurant Oren right before the pandemic for much critical acclaim. He'll shortly explain how his cooking style has evolved thanks to influences from around the world and what his ideals on great hospitality are. I think over here we, 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 we're kind of doing the right thing and people are actually coming back and coming back with feedback about the service and about how nice we are and how they've never seen anything like it and they really, really love us. Also in the next 30 minutes, is it time for Polish food to get more recognition? We meet an author who's on a mission to prove that pierogies are much more fun than you may think. Finally, I felt like this is the time to celebrate Polish dumplings, but it's not just Polish dumplings. I'm kind of like exploring the regions of Poland through their dumpling. All that to the week's headlines and a dinner sounds recommendation too ahead in this episode of the menu. Israeli-born chef Oded Oren worked in a number of restaurants in Tel Aviv before moving to London after stints in California and Paris. His restaurant Oren opened just months before the pandemic, but despite the challenging timing, the place found a lot of success. So much so that Oded was soon asked to write a cookbook. Oren, a personal collection of recipes and stories, is out now. Oded joined me in the studio to tell us more about his food and cooking style, which is actually very hard to define. I would ask you to explain or define your cooking style, considering that you have been drawing influence from, from quite a few directions. Yeah, sure. It's not an easy one to start with. Somehow, when people ask me what, what kind of food do you do or what type of cuisine, it's it's a little bit difficult to explain, but I'll, I'll try my best. I'm Well, obviously, I'm coming from, from Israel, so... The inspiration and the, uh, the influence is partially Middle Eastern, whatever that means. That that's that's also very broad and diverse. What I like to say about my food and about the influences is that I think because of the nature of this really young country, only seventy five, seventy six years old country, and The people that were there before my ancestors came, okay, there were people before that, Arabs, Palestinians, I think that pretty much defines some of the foods and the cuisine that I'm that I really care about. And then you add up different cultures. So Jewish people came after the Second World War from different countries, uh, whether it's Europe, like my side, so it was half German, half Polish. And then all my friends, you know, some of them came, their parents or their grandparents came from Libya or from Morocco or from Yemen. And all these cultures actually coexist in the food. So like you would easily find a diversity in restaurants, in types of foods, street food, or just traditional, simple kitchens and, and restaurants. And I think it's fascinating. And I think this is where I come from. I don't consider the food that I make in the restaurant or in general as an Israeli food. I think I've been asked that once about a few years ago. I was actually giving an interview and the person that was interviewing me was kind of pushing to, to ask Israeli food is really on the rise right now and I was like yeah but you need to understand it's like there's something a bit more than that and then I tried to explain myself and then she repeated she was like no but I know that Israeli food is really on the rise right now I said yeah but 
it's not really like that. And yeah, that article never was never published. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't participate. Let's hope this interview goes better. Yeah, it's really funny because I was like, just yesterday we had this chat. We kind of stayed after work, having some drinks with staff and. Actually, someone came in, and a friend of a waiter, and they started to ask about uh, about the cuisine and about the provenance and everything. And I kind of explained how how sometimes it's difficult to explain. Maybe if you want to explain a bit more, I'm wondering, can you tell me how your cooking has evolved when you've been spending time overseas? What are some of the latest things you've learned, tricks or methods or dishes? I can just say that. My cooking has changed a lot since I started. It, it actually much more simple now and much more simplified and basic than what I used to do. I think when I started, it was after my military service, I went to cooking school and the curriculum was French. Was We learned French cooking, obviously. And I think back then, over 20 years ago, chefs in Israel, they wanted to cook European food. They wanted to cook food that is actually not from here. This is how I feel. I mean, maybe it wasn't right for everyone. That that was my kind of impression that we wanted to do something that is not from here. And then it took me a few good years to understand that we actually have very good stuff over there. And there's no reason for us to look for truffles or to look for like expensive butter to cook with our food because we have good olive oil and we have great tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And I think they're something to be proud of. So my food is definitely ingredient led, I would say. So here it's slightly more difficult to find the produce that I'm that was used to cooking in in Israel but you can you can find it if you have good suppliers obviously not all of the food and all of the produce come from the UK unfortunately but we try to use local ingredients as much as we can Now tell us more about what's happening in the kitchen of your restaurant what have been some of the most successful dishes at your restaurant in East London Oren and what are some of these dishes that have made it also to the pages of your new book There are a few I was a bit surprised because some of them I never thought that people will actually they were a bit like very strong in flavor very punchy and people loved it I mean I think one of them was it's a very traditional dish that you would find usually in Jerusalem. It's called a Jerusalem mixed grill. Traditionally in Jerusalem, that dish will consist only bits of offal from a chicken. So it would be hearts, liver and spleen. Um, I changed it slightly because it's really difficult to get spleen here. I don't know if you've ever seen a chicken spleen, but it's about the size of a pearl. So that's quite difficult to get here. I I changed it a little bit. So we we're actually using duck hearts and not chicken hearts because they're a bit more plump and juicy. And we use liver, chicken liver, and we use some chicken thighs just to kind of make it a little bit more palatable for the taste. So it's mm-hmm. not like too, too much in your face and like awful wise. <laughs> Can you give us other examples? Sure. One of the dishes that was pretty much successful from the beginning were braised ox cheeks. So four or five hours braised ox cheeks only to be served with hummus and not with mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. So that, that that was something that was received quite well. But yeah, I think when my brother or my parents tasted it and they were like, why are you putting hummus with that? That needs to go with mashed potatoes. What do they know? <laughs> yeah. Now tell me about your ideas when it comes to great hospitality. What's the experience you want to <clears throat> offer? That was actually the hardest bit for me because I knew what I wanted in terms of hospitality from the beginning. I actually wanted to open a restaurant way before, but it just didn't happen for several reasons. But when it did happen and when it did flourish and and starting to to build um i was i really wanted people to come in and to feel at home i really wanted people to come in and 
be greeted with a smile, but a bit more than that. I had experiences where I used to go to restaurants, not just here, but in a lot of places where the service was a bit cold or it was a bit reserved and I wanted to create something a bit different. I wanted to kind of bring the warmth that you will find in simple restaurants in Tel Aviv, uh, which I really, really like. Sometimes it's a bit too friendly, I would say. But I think over here, we, 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 we're kind of doing the right thing. And people are actually coming back and coming back with feedback about the service and about how nice we are and how they've never seen anything like it. And they, they really love us. How do you make it happen? What do you tell your staff? How do you choose your staff? It's, yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know. Like, it's it just come, it comes together. I mean, I have brilliant stuff right now. It took a while because there were bumps. There was COVID and, and we lost a lot of stuff after that. Eventually, I think the current stuff is the best that I've had. I mean, if I can compare it to something, I mean, only only been open for three years, but it's definitely the best stuff that uh, I can ask for. They're super friendly. Most of them are actors, are graduates of acting school in Oxford. So that brings a lot of interesting characters to to my stuff. And it's, 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 I think it's just great. And my manager, she's great as well. She's very hospitable and she loves what she's doing. I think that's the main thing, to find people that actually like hospitality. Mm. Uh, that's, the, that's the most difficult thing. We should talk about the book as well. More about the book. Um, I wonder, creating this book, what kind of thoughts did you have? Did you realise something new about what you've been doing all these years and, and what um, kind of a restaurant you have created and what your cooking style really is? Yeah, the book was something that I didn't really plan to do. <laughs> so I was actually approached by Hardy Grant to do the book. And I was so skeptic at the beginning. And my immediate answer was, uh, no, I'm not sure that I want to do a book. And then I got Why back. wouldn't you? Because it was very early stages when I opened a restaurant. I was in the kitchen every day, 15 hours a day. And then I'm getting this email from publishing house that they want to do a book with me and I was like I don't know what they're talking about like I cannot do a book right now I'm so stressed my manager is not really functioning right now and I need to cook the food in the restaurant and teach the chefs how to cook um, I don't really know how to to answer to that I did get back to them eventually after like two or three weeks and I said yeah sure I'll do it and what was it like it was I think I, I thought about it and I was actually really flattered and I mean, the fact that they came to me and they and they suggested to do a book uh, actually gave me a lot of confidence. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm not one of those chefs that are like super confident or like, I'm the best. I'm going to do a lot of books. I never thought about myself like that. So for me to kind of get this impression from someone else who came to the restaurant by chance, the editor just came and had some food and brought the owners of the publishing house she was like, yeah, your food is great. We want to do a book with you. And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And then when I thought about it more and more, it made more sense. And I was like, yeah, why not? Like after so many years in kitchens and cooking food and eating food and talking about food, it would be really a really nice thing to to put my stamp, you know, like to write down all the all those recipes and all those stories. And what did that, what did that work make you realize? It, it gives you a sense of worth, I would say, an extra sense of you know, like I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually good. Like people actually want to buy the book or want to read the recipes or want to eat the food. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy I did it. It wasn't easy. It was really, really hard. What was hard? 
Everything, hard. everything was hard. Um, to start, I mean, I think it took me about six months just to sit down and to start writing the recipes, to to make decisions about which recipes or what kind of food do I want to do in the book. And I was kind of going back and forth, writing down recipes, and I was oh, no, they're not good enough. Let's do something else. It was difficult until I think, yeah, just one day I just woke up and everything changed. I just started to write everything without even thinking whether it's good enough or whether it's worthy enough. And yeah, it was kind of um, a decision acceptance of like, do you know what? I have enough recipes. I have enough material to to do a book. I'm just going to do it and that's it. Certainly. Yeah. We talked about a couple of dishes from the restaurants already, but tell me, if you just released some of your favorite recipes from this book now, there are so many over here, but just so that our listeners get a better idea. Some of my favorite recipes. From this book. Wow. I always say they're they're all my children. Like, I like them all. You you know, you are not alone when you say that. (laughs) It's really difficult. I would say there's a recipe, it's it's a takeoff of a quite a traditional recipe. So there's a street food, it's an Arab street food. It's called arayas. It's Palestinian, it's, you can find it in Lebanon as well. It's usually with meat, so it's it's a pita stuffed with, with lamb or with beef or both. Some pine nuts, and then that pita is actually grilled and brushed with lamb fat over charcoal. And then they slice it, and you eat like these beautiful grilled caramelized triangles of, of meat inside a pita. So I did a takeoff on that dish and I did it uh, with fish. And the trick was that I've actually added some lamb fat in the fish mix as well. So when you eat it, you're actually getting like a lot a lot of flavors. And if, if you wouldn't know that there's lamb fat in it, you would just like, you would go crazy because it's like, it's a flavor that when it, when it combines with fish, it's just, it's just great. So that went down really well when we did it in the restaurant. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite recipes. It's basically hand-chopped hake, for example, or like could be any white fish, but hake is a good fish. It's quite firm and it's mixed with lots of herbs and some raw onions. And then we grated some lamb fat in inside the mix, some salt, some pepper, stuff it in a pita, grill it, and then serve it with some tahini. It was outstanding. Amazing. It's great. Just finally, what kind of plans do you have for the future? Now, books out, the restaurants doing well. Yeah. What kind of plans for the rest of 2022 or 23? So for the very new future, um, I'm opening a deli. That's going to be in about six to eight weeks. Where? Uh, the deli is going to be in Broadway Market, also in East London, in Hackney. Um, yeah, that's that's also an idea that kind of came up because of what we did during lockdown and with the takeaway I've noticed that people are really looking for those kind of foods and those kind of offerings so we're going to offer that it's going to be a bakery as well it's going to be a wine shop and our own deli stuff deli bits that is quite unique I think it's not it's not I wouldn't say it's like a normal deli where you you know buy a tin of sardines or um, or some prosciutto it's going to be a bit different sounds amazing all the best with that project thank you Oren Oren, there, his restaurant Oren is open in Dalston, East London, and his cookbook Oren, a personal collection of recipes and stories from Tel Aviv, is out now. Up next, an update on what the food and drink industry is talking about. Here is Monocle's Lillian Fawcett with this week's headlines. Five Istanbul restaurants have been awarded Michelin stars after the release of the city's first Michelin guide this week. Four eateries in Turkey's biggest city received one of the coveted stars, while Turk Fatih Tutak was the only venue to be awarded two. 
The guide also listed 10 bib gourmands, which recognise good value for money. This week also saw 11 New York City restaurants awarded a Michelin star for the first time. Famous Hong Kong restaurant Tung Po Kitchen is set to reopen in a new location. Reports suggest the relaunched venue will be in the city's Wan Chai district. A popular tourist spot, Tung Po Kitchen closed last month after 30 years in business, having allegedly violated its tenancy agreement. The restaurant was famous for its loud pop music, eccentric customer service and serving beer in blue porcelain bowls. Visitors to France's most famous Christmas market won't see any champagne or raclette cheese on offer this year after the local council banned the French classics. New rules dictate that only products from the Alsace region can be served at the market, which attracts 2 million visitors annually. Other banned items include donuts and fried chicken. But vendors are permitted to sell samosas, Turkish delight and hot dogs, as long as they're locally made. Stallholders and business leaders have complained. And one of Monocle's favourite Tokyo chefs, Rinpei Yoshikawa, is bringing his cooking to the UK with a residency at West London creative hub Carousel. Owner at head chef at Pignon in Tokyo's Shibuya district, Rinpei's guest menu features the French-Moroccan cooking that has made his bistro a hit back home. Londoners have until the 22nd of October to enjoy it. Those are the week's headlines. Back to you, Marcus. Thanks, Lillian. You are with The Menu. And now we turn our attention to classic Polish cuisine. Zuzia Zaki is a Polish writer with an aim to inspire the world to cook and eat more food from Eastern Europe. Monocle's Emily Sands chatted to Zuzia about her new book Pierogi, an essential cookbook to delve deep into the different variations of perfect Polish dumplings. How was the idea for the book born? What made you want to write a book about Polish dumplings? It's been a long time coming, actually, because when I wrote my first cookbook, Polska, Mm. um, I think I mentioned in it, actually, that someone once said to me, oh, Polish food is just dumplings. And I kind of set out on my whole food writing journey to prove that wasn't true. And yet, (laughs) deep down inside, I was kind of like thinking, well, there are a lot of dumplings. And then I think now... As sort of the climate has changed and people have become more interested and more open to East European food, I thought the time was right to kind of explore that whole world. Mm, mm, Definitely. So why do you think now is the time to write a book about Polish dumplings? As you just said, that wasn't your main... You wanted to avoid that. And now here you are writing a book that's got 50 different recipes for them. (laughs) What what made it the right time for you to do this? Yeah, I've I've come full circle. And I think um, it's literally just the openness I felt to Polish cooking and East European cooking over the last few years, it wasn't always like this. Like, I think it's really changed in the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so. And even with my second cookbook, it was, even though the Polska did really well, still it wasn't super easy to publish Amber and Rye. In the end, that was received really well. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of that book as well. And I think... All the other sort of East European cooks have been doing their thing in the meantime. And there's just been a whole kind of uh, dialogue about it, I think, in the media. It's almost ongoing. So finally, I felt like this is the time to celebrate Polish dumplings. But it's not um, just Polish dumplings. I'm kind of like exploring the regions of Poland through their dumplings. I see, yeah, yeah. I, I looked through the book and there's lots of different types of dumplings in there. And obviously, like you said, this is a very traditional Polish cuisine. What's the 
evolution been for the, the classic Polish dumpling over the last years? Well, the interesting thing is there's been different dumplings popular in different parts of Poland. And I think the book is actually split into two, traditional and modern, mm. because there are, I think there are two things going on in Poland. There's the home cooking and then there's the, like, uh, restaurant culture. In the home cooking, there are a lot of uh, recipes, regional kind of delicacies that aren't really discovered. So I was hoping to travel around Poland to discover them, but that mm. didn't happen because of the pandemic. Of course. <laughs> so what I ended up doing is I reached out to my Instagram community and it was amazing because lots of people came back to me with recipes they procured from their family members that don't have the internet, from all different sides of Poland, their favourite recipes that most people haven't tried. So I've got a lot of them in the sort of traditional uh, section and... This is kind of about exploring the kind of regional home cooking. And then in the modern section, uh, we see more kind of what's going on. Maybe not exactly, but I would say it's more like the restaurant culture because we have vegan options, we have gluten-free, uh, we have people being really creative with uh, traditional Polish dishes. So, for example, what you'll find in restaurants now is things like green pierogi, which actually I did in Polska. <laughs> pierogi with duck, pierogi with wild garlic. I had recently when I went to Poland. People are really experimenting with the pierogi fillings. And that's kind of their their nature, really, because I feel like pierogi can be stuffed with anything. And I think they were from the beginning. That's why they were created, I imagine. Mm. So you could use up leftovers. So you could, you know, just very easily, cheaply and It's not quick to make pierogi, but if you make a huge amount, it is actually quite time efficient. So I think people have gone back to maybe experimenting more with the fillings and things mm -hmm. like that. That's what you'll see if you go to Poland today. Cool. So obviously there's 50 recipes in the book. How did you go through that process of picking every single recipe? Were there some that you wanted that didn't make it? I think I wanted to kind of uh, get representatives from all the various pierogi uh, that I'd tried while I was in Poland throughout my childhood, through my travels, but also to kind of capture all those kind of memories of other people as well, to try and broaden everyone's perspective on the subject. So I just kind of tried and tested lots of different recipes. For example, um, gryczaki, which I tried in, when I was traveling around Lublin, they're pierogi stuffed with buckwheat. And there were so many different types of varieties. And actually, some gryczaki weren't even pierogi. They were like little pies and there were big pies and, uh, you know, so many different things. And actually, my favorite recipe ended up coming via France from my photographer friend who lives in Paris. And uh, it was her childhood recipe from her grandmother who actually made them sweet. Mm, yes. Yeah. I, when I was looking through the book, I saw some ones with strawberries and, and stuff like that. And I didn't yeah. think that you could put that into pierogi but obviously you can <laughs> oh absolutely sweet ones are just as popular as savory ones <laughs> yeah definitely so obviously you said that making them is quite a long process what would you say are the important tips and tricks on how to make the best pierogi i think as you make them you will kind of wisen up to what works for you because a lot of it is about the temperature of your hands the time of year, the temperature of the room you're in. You know, some doughs are really versatile, but I remember once it was winter and I thought I'll, I'll choose this really flexible, versatile dough that's going to be good in the winter. And then I ended up at this workshop seated next to a really hot radiator. So I had to keep <laughs> running to the fridge and backwards and forwards. But I don't want to put people off because pierogi are actually very simple and very rustic and the dough is super forgiving. 
We have all kinds of dumplings in this cookbook and some aren't as simple as others. But a really basic old pierogi dough would just be flour, a little bit of salt, oil and hot water. And that's your kind of most old traditional Polish pierogi dough. So what's the future for Polish food looking like now? Oh, gosh, it's difficult to tell after everything that's been going on recently, you know, um, with the pandemic and the, you know, the crisis and the war and everything. The war in Ukraine, I mean, obviously it's, it's in Ukraine, but it, it, it is having an impact, mm. you know, the world over and Poland especially. Uh, Poland's quite funny because every time I go, the sort of restaurants sort of change, right. the, the, the landscape changes. So there is a lot going on and people are doing their thing, but... It's not like a restaurant will always be there. You can't always expect your favourite restaurant to just be there the next time you go. So I think there are a lot of things going on and I think people are being really innovative, you know. Actually, one of my favourite chefs has started doing a, a stall at a market and the markets are really big as well in Warsaw and perhaps, you know, for him that works better than having a big restaurant with all the overheads and everything. Mm. So let's talk about your plans for the end of 2022 into 2023. Is there anything exciting coming? What can we expect next from you? I am working on a new book right now, but it's not exactly a cookbook. It's something a little bit different. Okay. And I have, I don't know if I can really talk about it too much yet, but I can tell you there's like stories in it. It's a lot about folk culture. There's a lot of um, foraging. There's sort of folk wisdom and herbal remedies and how the Slavs used herbs and things like that. Zuzasak there in discussion with Monocle's Emily Sands and Zuzas new book Pierogi, over 50 recipes to create perfect Polish dumplings, is out now. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you are listening in Portland, Oregon. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And obviously, you will find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Tamsin Howard. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Maloka. With time is now. Thanks for listening. You're my last breath. You're a breath of fresh air to me. I am empty, so tell me you're.